Revelation chapter 10. Are you there with me tonight? Say amen. Tonight we're talking about the beginning of the end, and if I had to give a title, that would be what it is. Would you look at verse 1, please? And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. His face was as it were the sun, his feet as pillars of fire, and he had in his hand a little book open. He set his right foot upon the sea, his left foot on the earth, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices, or there were seven thunders that came after that. Verse 4, when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, here's John. John says, I was about to write. In other words, John was about to record what he was hearing in the message, in the words in the meaning of what he saw and what he was hearing in the thunder. So apparently there was an obvious message. There was something communicated that John said, I felt the need to write it down. But watch this. This is interesting. I was about to write, and then I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered and write them not. In other words, do not write down what you just heard. Now, that's interesting to me. Here's John, who normally was told by the Lord, or at least by a voice from heaven, hey, you be sure to write this down for succeeding generations. But here the Lord says, I don't want you to write that down. You say, Christian, why would the Lord do that? I have a very honest answer for you, okay? I do not know. I've studied commentary after commentary, Bible scholar after Bible scholar, and said, you know, tried to ask the question, why why would the Lord tell John not to write it down? Nobody has any really intelligent explanation. (laughs) So what do we see here? Truth be told, these two chapters, chapter 10, chapter 11, form what we would call a parenthetical section. I like what John Walford says. Here's how he explains it. He said this section doesn't necessarily advance the narrative, but it does present other facts which contribute to the total prophetic scene. How many of you have ever been like, I don't even know if this is a thing anymore, When I was a kid, my grandparents, who lived in Asheville, they took me, my brother and sister, to the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. Anybody ever remember seeing that as a kid? You know what I remember? We we used the term a three-ring circus. What do we mean by that? Well, I remember about the Barnum and Bailey Circus. (laughs) Like over here, you remember this, like, like this circular cage where they had the dude on the motorcycle? And he was like going this way, and then there was another dude on another motorcycle that was like doing this, and they were doing that in the, on the motorcycles, like going 90 to nothing, you know, in the cage, like wowzers. And I remember as a little kid watching that over here, and then all of a sudden over here in this little section... Maybe it was the it was the midget clowns in the car, 
right? I don't, I don't know how to say that without being offensive to somebody, right? But it was, the, it was the vertically challenged people, the clowns in the car, you know, and, and like it was this little car and like 37 of them got out of the car. You're like, wow, this is incredible. So <laughs> this is happening right here. And I, I, I know y'all know your preacher struggles. But anyway, I'm just trying to be honest. So you have that going on right here. You have the dudes on the motorcycle in the cage right here. And then in the middle, you may have like the lion tamer dude. <laughs> and he's got the whip. He's got the chair. There's the lion. And then Booyah. They, they bring out a tiger or something else, and you're like, man, what is going on here? And you're like, this is happening. This is happening. This is happening. That's kind of, as we're going to get into this, and by the way, remember, we're about halfway through the book. As we get into these chapters, I'm not trying to be goofy or funny. I'm just trying to, that it's kind of like a, <laughs> watching a three-ring circus, not that it's a circus, but you have all this activity going on at the same time, simultaneously taking place. Y'all understand what I'm trying to explain? Chapter 10, chapter 11 are two of those things. Because we're going to see some things right here real quick tonight, and you're going to be like, man, I've always wondered, what is that? Who is that? What's going on? Lord willing, we're going to try to shed some light on what's happening. First of all, we see an angel proclaiming God's ownership of the earth. And this is verses 1 through 11. John gives us a description of this angel. Verses 1 through 4, notice this. We see, first of all, in verse 1, the angel's appearance. It, it talks about that he comes down from heaven, he's clothed with a cloud, there's a rainbow around his head, his face is like bright like the sun, his feet were like pillars of fire. And man, when you read that, some of you who remember, you think back to like chapter one and you're like, CP, could this be Jesus? Because it sure looks a lot like the image we saw of Jesus in chapter one. Let me go ahead and alleviate your, your question there. I do not believe, and we'll see why in just a second, why I do not believe this is Jesus. I, I believe it's a legitimate angel though. So we see his appearance, we see his authority in verse 2. It says he has in his hand a little book open. He puts his right foot on the sea, his left foot on, on dry ground on the earth. This indicates that the angel was given complete authority over this entire situation that's going on on the earth. And then we see the angel's announcement, verse 3. He cries with a loud voice. When he does, it sounds like the voice of a lion, when a lion cries. And then when that happened, there were seven thunders that came after that. The angel makes a roaring sound like a lion. Seven thunders are then heard. The message of the seven thunders and what God was wanting to communicate was apparently clearly understood by John. But then in verse 4, it's like the Lord says, hey, I'm forbidding you from writing down what you are understanding. So John not only describes the angels, but John has a dialogue with this angel. Verse 5 says that the angel stood on the sea and he lifted up his hand to heaven. And watch this, verse 6. He swear by him that liveth forever and ever. Now stop right there just a second. 
That phrase literally carries the idea that the angel is making a pledge or making a promise. It's not like we say, oh, someone swore. Well, no, 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 that's, that's not what he's doing. He's simply, that word means to promise. He's making a pledge. He's, he's, he's making a declaration, and he's invoking the authority of God when he makes the promise and the pledge. If this is Jesus, he doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to make a pledge by God because he is God. That's why I do not believe that this angel is Jesus. I believe it's just an angel. He's making a declaration, but he's using the authority of Jesus. And if this was Jesus, he wouldn't have to, for lack of a better way to put it, go through all that. He'd just make the pledge and make the statement. Verse 8, and the voice which I heard from, uh, 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 notice this, verse 7, I'm sorry. In the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servant the prophets. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is opened in the hand of the angel which stands upon the sea and upon the earth. I went, John said, I went to the angel. I said, give me the little book. He said to me, take it and eat it up. You're like, what? It shall make thy belly bitter. It shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand. I ate it up. You're like, CP, you mean to tell me John ate the book? Well, that's what it says right here. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. As soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, thou must prophesy again before many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Like, Christian, what did we just read here? I want you to notice verses 5 through 7. So here's the statement that I want you to hang on to. The angel said, time shall be no more, or time shall be no longer. The angel lifts his hand to heaven and players and swedges, swear, swedges and players, that's, that's good. He pledges and swears, by the, I'm sorry, by the authority of God that time should be no more, declaring literally the beginning of the end. The phrase literally means that time has run out. There shall be no further delays. The end is now to be consummated. The end is irrevocably set in motion. But notice verses 8 through 11 John is told to eat the book. You're like, this is bizarre. Okay, think back in the Old Testament. Think back to Ezekiel 2. Think back to Jeremiah 15, when the same instruction is given to those two prophets. John eats the book, but watch this. The taste of it was sweet in John's mouth, but it was bitter in his belly. Now think with me. Why did the Lord have that? Why did the Lord do that? Well, think about the events of the tribulation. It has both a sweet aspect and a bitter aspect. These events are going to seem to be sweet to the saints in heaven who are awaiting the time when Jesus comes back to the earth and vindicates the saints. These events are going to be viewed as sweet to them, but it's going to be bitter to another group of people. And that's the lost people. People without God are not going to see these events as sweet. They're going to view these things as bitter. So then we see 
Follow with me. The two faithful witnesses appear on the scene. Now go to chapter 11, verse 3. God introduces us to two faithful witnesses. 11, verse 3. I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy, watch this, a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. Sackcloth was a very coarse material. It was used in the Old Testament in times of mourning, in times of catastrophe, in times of repentance. These, verse 4, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. The olive trees, the candlesticks, has reference to the book of Zechariah. And it basically is referring to those who are going to be witnesses for God. You say, Christian, who are the two faithful witnesses? Okay, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Some believe that these two witnesses are Moses and Elijah. Because of the nature of the miracles that they're able to perform Some say it was Enoch and Elijah. Why Enoch and Elijah? Because these two witnesses are going to be killed in the street. Now listen carefully. And they say, well, it's Enoch and Elijah because Enoch and Elijah are the only two humans who were ever born that didn't die a natural death. Some say that these two are two converts that were saved during the tribulation that are raised up by God as prophets. But here's the thing, the Bible doesn't specifically say, and we can conjecture all we want to, but the Bible is silent on who these are. It says they will prophesy for 42 months. They seem to be prophesying during the last half of the tribulation. Watch this, when the hostility and the persecution seem to be at its highest. Now notice verse five, that for a while, They are impervious to danger and harm. If any man hurt them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours the enemy. Wow. If any man hurt them, he must in that manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. They have power over waters to turn them to blood, to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. You see how we see a very prophetic nature and authority that they have like Moses, like Elijah. They were able to perform and call out and invoke these plagues. They shut up heaven that there wasn't any rain. They called out fire. God did give them, these two possessed some kind of divine supernatural power to authenticate their message. Using fire from God, stopping it from raining, turning water into blood, smiting the earth with plagues. Now watch this, verse 7. When they have finished their testimony, the beast, circle the word beast. This is a reference we believe to Satan. The beast ascends out of the bottomless pit and makes war against these two witnesses. He's going to overcome them. He's going to kill them. Their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Now, men and women, what city is he talking about? It starts with a J, rhymes with Jerusalem. (laughs) Right? What city is he talking about? Jerusalem. 
It's interesting what he calls them. He calls it, he says, hey, it's like Babylon. Then he says, it's like Egypt. Then he said, it's like Sodom. And oh, by the way, I'm talking about Jerusalem. They're killed. They lay in the street for three and a half days. No, notice this. Don't miss this. Verse 9. They of the people and kindreds, tongues, nations shall, shall see their dead bodies for three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. You're like, Christian, wait a minute. How can all the world see what's going on? 2,000 years ago, it wasn't possible. 100 years ago, it wasn't possible. 50 years ago, it probably wasn't possible. But buddy boy, you know it's possible tonight. Man, there's a fight that breaks out at a local school in the bathroom and there's 27 cell phones right there recording it live on Facebook. And God says, my two prophets are going to be killed and they're going to lie on the street. They're not even going to respect them enough. They're going to desecrate them. They're going to disrespect them and let their bodies rot in the street. They'll be murdered. They'll be murdered. Their dead bodies will lay in the street for three and a half days. All the earth will see them due to mass media. Now notice this, don't don't miss this, verse 10. And they that dwell on the earth shall rejoice over them. They'll make merry and shall send gifts to one another. What? Because the two prophets are dead. It's like Christmas time. You think, Christian, why are the citizens of the earth so excited that these two prophets are dead? Here's why, men and women. Because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil and they do not want to be rebuked and they do not want to be reproved. And for three and a half years, these two prophets of God, they're preaching, they're exposing error, they're exposing sin, they're calling out the Antichrist. And the world who have already bought in to the lie of the Antichrist is going right along with him and the world hates these men. Now hear me carefully. If you think that there is animosity against the name of Jesus tonight, you better hang on. Because there will be nothing but widespread animosity and hatred and angst against the name of God in the great tribulation. And they're celebrating and partying because now, finally, we were able to shut them up. And then notice verse 11 and 12. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God enters into them. They stood up on their feet. Great fear fell upon them which saw them. They heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither, and they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them going up to heaven. The Lord gave them their very own resurrection and rapture all in the same moment. And after three and a half days, the Spirit of God will raise them to life, and they'll ascend back up into heaven. Notice verse 13. The same hour was there a great earthquake and the tenth part of that city fell. A tenth part of the city of Jerusalem caved in and the earthquake was so great it killed 7,000. Now watch this. Don't miss this. 
the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. Who is this referring to? I really believe that the remnant referred to are the very small, tiny remnant of saints that were still alive, tribulation saints. The Bible says that when they saw this happening, they gave glory to God in heaven. Now, don't miss this. The last thought tonight. The seventh trumpet sounds. Verse 15, the seventh angel sounded and there was great voices in heaven. So the seventh trumpet is blown and watch this. In heaven, people start rejoicing. Saying the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. In heaven, when this seventh trumpet sounds signifying the beginning of the end. All of heaven breaks out rejoicing and praising God. Jesus' total reign is proclaimed and highlighted. By the way, men and women, let let this be an encouragement to you that even now tonight, Jesus Christ is Lord. Can I get an amen right there? Notice verse 16 in the four and 20 elders. By the way, that's the church. That's you and I. We're in heaven. They fell upon their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, because thou hast given thee to thee by thy great power and hast reigned, and the nations were angry. Thy wrath is come, the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto your servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name. Once again, This announcement that the end is near causes all of heaven to worship, rejoice, and celebrate Jesus. And then verse 19. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, the ark of his covenant. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. You're like, what did I just read in verse 19? All of those things, the lightnings, the voices, the thunder, the earthquake, the hailstorm, all that is significant and represents the majestic, powerful authority of God. And here again, men and women, as we close tonight, listen very carefully. It's another way for the Lord to say and Don't forget, this is not Satan running the show. This is me. I'm in charge. And I'm about to pour out my wrath again on this world. And I'm about to display, watch this, my unveiled, full, righteous glory. And that, my dear friend, is why the saints in heaven are throwing a party and shouting. Because he is worthy. And he is glorious.